My name is Gavin Gee. I'm Joseph A. Smith, Jr. Hi, I'm Buzz Gorman. My name is Bill Matthews. My name's Tom Grunstall. My name's Darren Domang. Neil Milner. John Ryan. My name's Steve Antonakis. And this is an oral history of the start of the nationwide multi-state licensing system, better known as NMLS. When we left off in September of 2005, the CSPS board of directors had just approved the actual development of the NMLS system. However, cracks were beginning to show in the mortgage market, and it was a race against time. So can you tell me when the mortgage crisis really began? It, it was pretty apparent to a lot of us that there, there, was, a, there was a crisis brewing by by. By the end of 2006, you could, if you were watching what was going on in the housing and, and mortgage business, it, it was obvious to most of us that there was going to be some significant trouble. So we, we needed to be ready. The common perception is that the mortgage meltdown started in 2008, and I really b believe that it started in late 2007 uh, when we saw uh, one particular uh, company, um, the, the the price of their credit default swaps doubled overnight, and that kind of sent red flags to everybody. Uh, that's where it started. I think I think it started right at the end of 2007. It so this period was a very very busy time for regulators. We were assisting with with uh, uh, CSBS through through meetings and whatnot to um, develop the system. We were uh, setting up uh, the multi-state mortgage committee, um, and we were on, it seemed like daily, sometimes multiple calls daily, uh, we were with other regulators and monitoring companies that were failing or about to fail, and the pipelines they had assisting them with getting those things uh, pushed through and either funded or approved. So you're a regulator full-time during a global financial meltdown, and a member of the SRR board full-time while we're building out an entirely new technology system to address these types of issues. That's two jobs at once. What is this like? I always likened it to running ahead of the tidal wave. That, I think, was critical because Congress was looking for solutions and you know things that, that Congress could do to uh, to create solutions like what predatory lending laws need to be passed you know what how do we connect the front end to the back end of the mortgage process how do we make sure that you know people aren't giving people mortgages that they can pay for two years and then uh um once interest kicks in they can't afford it anymore um all that stuff was coming to a head as as um all the the predatory loans and the the pay uh, the the the, the interest-only loans and those kinds of loans um, were coming to a head and people were like walking away from their houses. So we saw it coming. We saw the tidal wave coming. We turned and started to run and we got a system up and running and we got seven states to commit. We got 28 states to commit in, to a future time. Um, 
So we had a story to tell. Okay, but it's one thing to have a story to tell. It's another thing to get Congress to hear your story. So how did you get there? Congressman Backus from Alabama, uh, he had a staffer whose um, father actually worked at the Pennsylvania State Banking Department. And she knew something was going on with us. And she called and said, hey, they're doing this legislation. Um, What are you guys doing? Which was like an amazing opening for us. And so we we had a story to tell. We would, if we didn't have a story to tell, we would have been dead in the water. But because we were running ahead of that tidal wave and because we were working as fast as we can and as hard as we could um, to get uh, NMLS up and running and get states voluntarily on the system, um, when we told that story to uh, Bacchus's chief of staff and to, to Congressman Bacchus, um, they said, great, we want to make this happen for you guys. Um, so we think you can be a part of the solution. Uh, and so we're going to work on legislation and and have the states have control, which was amazing. Uh, it's It really was just amazing that, that uh, they wanted the states to remain in control and that we had something to offer them. All right. And Bacchus is a Republican and the Republicans at this point in time when legislation is being considered are in the minority. So how does his support of this legislation turn into a part of the SAFE Act? The fact that that Barney Frank was the chairman of the committee and Bacchus was the ranking member of the committee was interesting because Barney Frank had his um, bill that he was trying to do, the HERA bill, uh, that he was pushing forward to solve the savings or to solve the crisis. And Bacchus was like, oh, once we had the legislation drafted, Bacchus was like, I have this amendment to your bill. <laughs> and Barney Frank was like, wait, <laughs> you have an amendment to my bill? Uh, okay. Are you going to support it if we do it? And he's like, yes. So he adopted it into the Democratic bill on the House side, um, which gave us just such incredible credibility at that point. It gave the legislation a big bump um, and and also helped us in the Senate side to get it introduced by, by uh, Senator Feinstein when they were – when the Senate was looking for something, uh, that was really – amazing that she looked to the House side and picked up that legislation uh, to introduce it. And then we got Senator Martinez from Florida to also uh, join her in the efforts. And Senator Martinez was a Republican um, and former uh, head of the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which then also gave that bill credibility on the Republican side in the Senate and Feinstein gave it credibility as the chief sponsor uh, on the on the Senate side as well. So it was it was really very fortunate. Um, Feinstein was was a powerhouse, uh, still is. Uh, Martinez gave it so much credibility as a former Republican head of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Now, Steve. Here's something interesting, and one of the reasons I'm glad I get to talk to you is that is that this approval happens, the development begins, 
And then the financial crisis really starts to appear in the public mind in 2007. And Congress is looking for two things at once. They're looking for a solution to the problem and ways to make sure it doesn't happen again. But they're also looking for a head on a pike. They're looking for somebody to kind of sacrifice, you know, for and, and to blame. And CSBS volunteers you to go talk up on the hill. <laughs> I'm interested in 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 your perspective on that, how you felt doing that, and and what your thoughts were, and kind of how that went from your perspective. You know, um, I had done it a number of times. You know, I was fairly comfortable in that arena. Um, you know, I had worked with the other agencies through the FFIC and so forth. You know, and I just thought we had a fairly compelling story to tell. You know, in that. You know, I, I would testify typically alongside, you know, uh, the principals of the FDIC, the, the Federal Reserve, the OTS, the OCC, sometimes the NCOA, you know, and in our distinct case, you know, we supervise banks, many of us supervise credit unions, and we supervise this number of non-bank entities as well. So we had the most direct uh, experience, I thought, in terms of seeing a bigger slice of the mortgage market than a lot of other folks testifying. You know, and I also thought, you know, we were coming from a solutions oriented perspective. You know, we were humble enough to acknowledge that state supervision was was not perfect and certainly could be improved. Uh, but, you know, we had also been stymied, frankly, for a number of years by the OCC and the OTS and their in and, and their aggressive preemption preemption uh, of of uh, state consumer protection laws. Uh, the world could have been quite different if if ASNI liability uh, wasn't struck down in the Georgia law, North Carolina law, and so forth. Moreover, there was guidance that we were advocating, non-traditional mortgage guidance to be issued through the FFIC and through the states that uh, was slow walked, that could have made a difference. By the time it was issued, it was frankly far too late. Um, so I thought we were coming from a solutions-oriented perspective. You know, I was prepared to take some heat if, if appropriate. Uh, but I also thought that, um, you know, this idea of the nationwide mortgage licensing system blessed through the SAFE Act and coordinated state supervision was a way, you know, of enhancing oversight of these non-banks uh, at that time. So, you know, you never feel great while you're testifying before Congress. I always used to joke that the best part of testifying is when you're done. Um, but uh, I, I was happy to kind of you know, and, and was honored on behalf of my colleagues to kind of try to bring that message forward. So after after you speak to them, you know, work is being done on on the SAFE Act, and you play a role in in helping to negotiate that and work with Congress. What was that like? Do you feel like there was bipartisan support for NMLS and the things that states were asking for? Do you feel like you got a lot of pushback? What what was your experience? I, I do think there was bipartisan support, right? It, this did uh, get through fairly quickly, um, you know. And it, it you know, and forget, I, I don't recall how the vote went down, but it wasn't, you know, you know, all Republican votes or all Democratic votes. I, I don't believe. Uh, so I do think there was broader support for it. Um, you know, the fact that we were developing this and we weren't looking for an appropriation, I think, made it easier for everyone that we weren't looking for money because we were trying to self-fund it ourselves. So you had a truly bipartisan addition to finding a resolution for uh, for what happened in the financial crisis. 
So here's what's interesting to me is that the SAFE Act ultimately passes, I think it was what, in July of 2007. And so the timeline now you have to, to make NMLS as the system of record for states is pretty short. Um, as far as I understand it, what was it like trying to get 50 state legislatures to amend their laws in a single calendar year uh, to, to align with the SAFE Act? It, uh, I will say this. My understanding is that it's never been done before and probably will be a long time before it's done again um, to have legislation passed in all states. We begged for two years for enabling legislation in the in the legislation itself. We begged to get two years and didn't realize that the next year was the year that all the legislatures are in session. So so the half the legislature or a good handful of legislatures only meet every two years. They don't meet every year. And so that's how we got the two years in. But it just so happened that the the year we picked was a year that everybody was in so the what what happened there um we couldn't force the states to get on the system so we didn't want to we didn't want to advocate for the states being forced to get on the system but because we wanted a 50 state system and so did the congress they wanted a 50 state system they made hud the backup to um the states so in states that did not adopt the system, HUD would be the backup and would also license the mortgage loan originators in their state. So the state would license and HUD would license. So you'd get double um, supervision in a state that did not adopt it. Or you could adopt the legislation and uh, and HUD just goes away. Um, and so that was like, for some reason, that was an amazing incentive. Okay, so that's the stick. But, you know, you want the states to pass these laws and you want them to be uniform enough to actually work. So did you help the states at all? Uh, were you involved? Were you on the ground in states getting this done? There was a great need to have a model state law. So we're talking about July 30th is when the SAFE Act passed. And... At the Armour Conference in late August, I don't remember the exact date, but it was, I think, uh, 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 three weeks into August, uh, there was a uh, model state law task force that had been created, and they were working every day, there were about 23 members, to come up with a model state law. They presented the idea and uh, some of the major tenants both to regulators and industry at the Armour Conference uh, in August of 2008. And they said, we will have something by Labor Day uh, for the states um, to do, uh, to use uh, for their legislations, for their legislative uh, sessions. Not all states meet every year, but in 2009, the stars aligned and every state was meeting and so uh, I don't think we got it by Labor Day, but I think uh, in uh, October, the model state law was uh, made available and sent to all the states uh, for their consideration. Uh, industry uh, was not uh, too excited about having 
uh, dual regulators, the states and HUD. And so they got behind uh, the legislation, uh, the model state law, in order to uh, have the states meet the minimum requirements. And so HUD would not be involved. Within 18 months of the passage of the SAFE Act, every state adopted uh, NMLS enabling uh, legislation or SAFE Act enabling legislation in order to meet the minimum standards of the SAFE Act and not have HUD involved at all in this system. So within two years, your hard work received the approval of Congress and all 50 state legislatures. This sounds kind of unprecedented to me. I was told by somebody, uh, at NCSL that the only other legislation that came close was Amber Alerts. Um, and that still, I don't think, has been adopted in all 50 states. Um, but it was like the fastest to be adopted in the majority of states. So, so uh, NMLS wins out as the, the legislation that passed very quickly in all 50 states. But again, we were going through a crisis um, this was an opportunity for the states to step up and uh, address the crisis. Um, the alternative was to have HUD step in as well. It was the perfect storm for, for getting stuff done at the state legislature. And as they say, the rest is history, right? We're here 15 years later. Uh, NMLS is going strong and it's being used for multiple license types. And we've got plenty more to come. So stay with us. We'll have one more episode after this where we just talk about lessons learned from the development of NMLS and learn a bit more from our guests. Simply Stated is a podcast produced by the Conference of State Bank Supervisors. I'm Matt Longacre, Director of Communications at CSBS. This podcast on the history of the NMLS is a special series. Thank you to everyone who volunteered to be interviewed, the team at CSBS who handled recording logistics from afar, and the entire communications staff for their contributions to this great series. Thanks again for listening.